Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome right. to New York. Oh. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, Podcast. brought to you by the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! Devils fans, this wagon keeps on rolling, baby! What is going on, Devils fans? It is, as always, your host, your best friend, your confidant, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network as well as Sportswire Radio, the best place to get everything you need to know about your 12 wins in a row, New Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day wherever you're listening to this podcast episode thank you guys as always for taking time out of your day to check these episodes out i greatly appreciate it and the support that you guys give me episode by episode is just unbelievable and so thank you as always from the bottom of my heart for all of the support and all and and everything that you guys do because as i always say This podcast is for the fans, by a fan. So thank you guys so very much. This podcast episode and everything we do here at the Hockey Podcast Network are sponsored as always by our great friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. When you sign up for DraftKings, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to use our promo code, which is THPN. Again, our promo code is THPN. And as always, Tell them that your boy, Neil Villapiano, sent you. Once again, a big thank you and shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook for sponsoring the Hockey Podcast Network as well as the Devil's State of Mind podcast. Are we having fun right now, Devils fans? I mean, this is unbelievable what this team is doing. I think if you really think about it, honestly, I personally think that for when you look at the last several years, We always knew that the team had potential, 
to have great success, I don't think a single person could ever project that this team could have the success that we're having right now. And the level of dominance in many ways that we've been having, I mean, this is just unbelievable what we're seeing. And the big talking point here in this episode is we're going to recap the Eastern Canada road trip, um, which obviously I didn't have a chance to really do in the previous episode, but that is totally fine. We have a lot to talk about with that. And also on the back end of this episode, we have a very special guest joining us here on the Devil State of Mind podcast. We have the Metropolitan Riveters, which is the local professional women's hockey team here in New Jersey. Their head coach, Ben Lahovi, who joined us last week on the podcast to talk about her journey to becoming the head coach of the Riveters and obviously what to look forward to with the Riveters this upcoming season, which is now underway. So I hope you guys are excited for that interview as well. So as always, guys, we have a bunch to get to here on the Devil State of Mind podcast. So let's not waste any more time and get rolling. So let's kick things off with recapping the Devil's game last Tuesday night in Montreal against the Montreal Canadiens. So this is the first of a three-game Eastern Canada road trip after the Devils are coming off a tremendous three-game sweep of their homestand, continuing to come in with big-time momentum. They were also coming into this game looking to push their winning streak to double digits at 10. And the Devils came away with a pretty much dominant win in Montreal as they beat down on the Habs by the final score of 5-1. to one. Jack Hughes, going up against one of his good buddies in Cole Caulfield, put on a show as he ended up getting himself two goals, which put his goal total up to six now, had a big-time game. The Devils adding on another power play goal, which at that point moved it to at least one power play goal in each of their last nine games in a row. So it's pretty remarkable, or at least actually it was nine goals out of their last 10 games. So it is pretty remarkable what Andrew Burnett has been able to do with getting this power play to be as good as it's been. And yeah, I mean, there's still times where they don't look always 100% great, but the fact that they're able to at least cash in on, on one of their chances every game um, is a really good job. And that just shows that we're building much more good consistency, which is so important. I want to give a special shout out to John Marino, who continues to become the biggest steal potentially in the NHL this past offseason. Because again, we traded Ty Smith to the Penguins for John Marino. Again, I mentioned this before, but Ty Smith is currently down in the minors of the Penguin system, while John Marino continues to be arguably our best defensive defenseman and is going up against every team's big-name players and having so much success slowing them down and at times stopping them completely where they're basically a non-factor in the game, which is phenomenal. And he had such a great game, and he ended up earning himself a goal, was an empty netter, but regardless, he got a goal that he definitely deserved. And so it was just another John Marino masterclass who I honestly believe you could make a really good argument that that might have been 
and potentially be the best move the Devils have made this season, acquiring him for Ty Smith, because it's just a massive upgrade, not just in size, but a massive upgrade in general of the level of play, especially defensively. And I think that's the biggest thing. So John Marino had himself a hell of a game. Vitek Vanacek, again, very, very strong in net. And with the win, the Devils moved their winning streak to double digits at 10 in a row and improved their record to 10 games above 500 at 13-3-0. So a really good start for the Devils as they move on to Toronto for a big-time matchup on Thursday against the Leafs. And now we go to the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this was a game where I basically sat there prior to it and said, if this is where the winning streak ends, at least it's against a very good team like Toronto with the likes of Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Morgan Riley, and it's in Toronto. So if this, if there was going to be a game you know, in this trip, that was going to be one where maybe we don't end up coming away with the win. It was going to be this one. But, and, and early on, to be fair, um, you know, the Leafs scored on the power play and you're like, okay, Leafs got it going. And obviously the penalty kill is somewhat of an issue right now because we have been giving up a good amount of goals on the power, on the uh, penalty kill of late. And considering that the schedule is not getting any easier moving forward, with some of the likes of playing Edmonton as well as Toronto again next week, you know, the devil's got to find a way to tighten that up. And obviously when against these very good teams to stay out of the penalty box. So this was, so obviously the devils did give up a penalty, did give up a, a power play goal, but definitely improved a lot as the game moved along in that one. Uh, what I loved more than anything was that two on one goal that Nico Heischer scored going top shelf and you could see that he's just a much different player than he was in years past. In years past, he would have taken a softer shot or even tried to pass it. Instead, he's being ultra-aggressive, going top shelf, getting that goal. It's tremendous. And now you look at it, Nico Heischer is one goal away from already getting to double digits in goals this year, and we're still not even 20 games into the season. So it's just remarkable what Nico's been able to do. He's building off a really good season last year and having an even better season so far this year. Um, the big thing also that I took away was that William Nylander was really all over the ice in this one. And I kept saying to myself, you know, he's going to get involved on the score sheet at some point. He rang the shot off the post earlier in the game. He's made some excellent passes, setting up his teammates. At some point, he's going to come up with a big time play. And sure enough, with the Devils looking to try to hold on to the 2-1 to lead, William Nylander took a shot that touched Jonas Siegenthaler's stick just enough where it redirected past Vanacek top shelf and in, and the Leafs tied the game up at 2 with 2.09 left to go in the game. And at that point, you felt a little bit, I'm sure I wasn't the only fan thinking this, thinking... Maybe it's just not meant to be. Maybe, you know, this is where, you know, it's going to stop and, you know, we're going to end up dropping this one in overtime and things like that. Although the Devils in the early stages of the season have had a lot of success in overtime. Um, but still, you kind of felt like in that moment that the Leafs had the momentum and that they were probably going to take control once we got to overtime. But that was not the case as the Devils won the opening draw and controlled the puck for the entire 57 seconds of overtime because 
And you might ask me, well, you might actually be asking me, well, why only 57 seconds? Well, because Jack Hughes on a great takeaway on the four check gets it onto the right side. He comes in hot and very much into the, into the, um, into the crease area, takes a shot, gets tripped. There's going to be a delayed penalty, but Sharon Govich is right there. He taps it into the open net and scores, and the Devils, despite coughing up the lead late in the third, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and get the dub 57 seconds into overtime and push the winning streak to 11 wins in a row. And also... You know, Sharon Govich had been relatively quiet for the last seven games. It had been seven games since the last time he scored. And this was one of the guys that we've been talking about on the podcast and on social media recently that we wanted to see him get going. And it was so big for him to get that goal and to obviously end up getting the win in that one. And that was phenomenal. And Vitek Vanacek, again, another really good performance, stopping 25 of the 27 shots that he faced. And he is now been the winner of eight games in a row. So he's on his own winning streak. And it's just crazy that he's already two wins away from winning 10 in a row. I mean, I know that a lot of people might not look at his stats completely and say, oh, he's Vesna Trophy, you know, worthy. But he's making a case here. And I know there's some other guys that have played really well so far, like Linus Allmark and Connor Hellebuck and even Jake Oninger before he got hurt. But Vitek Vanacek has been playing at as good of a level as anybody in the NHL right now with the way that he's playing. And so the Devils, once again, another type of adversity, and they answered the challenge. They didn't back down, they didn't falter, and they found a way to win. And, you know, there was that one play earlier in the game where Nico Kiescher deked around Mitch Marner, got a really good shot on goal. It was stopped, but it would have been a highlight reel goal. And the reporters asked Mitch Marner after the game um, about that. And he said, yeah, Nico Kiescher really took me on a walk on that one. Like Mitch Marner acknowledged that he got absolutely twisted around on that move. And it would have been an unreal goal if the captain had gotten that one. But that, again, shows the level of confidence that Nico has. It shows the level of confidence the team has. And, and for me, it goes back to the goaltending play. Now that the goaltending has been really solid and we're getting the type of goaltending that we want, the team feels confident to make moves like that, to make plays, because they got guys backing them up that are going to make some saves and block some shots. And then you have other just dynamic players willing to take those risks to get good plays and obviously score. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out, which was the first goal for the Devils, which was a great response after the Leafs had taken the lead, because it lasted only like 30 some odd seconds. Eric Halla, just a great job in the right corner, lifts the stick of the defenseman and feeds it past two lead sticks. I mean, it could have easily been tipped away, but it got right on the stick of Brett. Didn't hesitate. Top of the shelf, beating Matt Murray to score there. And it's funny how Jisper Brett went on that point streak to start the year. He's been a little, he's been a, not a, I guess you'd say he's been somewhat quiet, not really, because he's still racking up points, but not at the same level that he was earlier, but still making contributions, which is exactly what we need. And this was one of the few games where you saw, for the most part, it was like the core of the team that stepped up, which is fine, 
because we've had other games this year where it wasn't the top guys leading the way for us. And and this was one of those games where our top guys need to be the top guys against the Leafs top guys and came away with the win. So that was a big time win, obviously guaranteeing a winning record on the, you know, on this road trip and going to Ottawa for a day game for a chance to sweep the Eastern Canada road trip. But again, great win, great resilient win by this Devils team to move the winning streak to 11 in a row. And speaking of the Senators, we move to the game on Saturday afternoon against the Senators. And I know I said this when we were talking about the Devils game against the Senators last week, but it was the same feeling here. This did feel like a trap game. It was a day game, a one o'clock start in Ottawa. And Ottawa, although their record tells a different story, they've had some of the worst puck luck this season. Um, they've had a lot of bad breaks and you know, at some point they're going to get out of it. And you were wondering if this was going to be that game and the devils ended up going with Akira Schmid. And I know that some people were like, why are we taking out Vanacek? Well, at the end of the day, we are now in a world in the NHL and hockey where your goaltenders shouldn't be playing 60 plus games a year. Like you need to have strong goaltending from both your starter and your backup. And Akira Schmidt in the short time that he's been up here in this most recent call up has been tremendous. And so I felt confident with Akira Schmidt back there. And the team certainly felt confident as well because the devils end up completing the sweep of the Eastern Canada road trip with another dominant five to one win in Ottawa to beat the senators and the devils made major NHL history by becoming the first team in NHL history to sweep both the Western and Eastern Canada road trips in the same season. So they are indeed the Kings of Canada this year. Now, granted, they have not played the Winnipeg Jets yet, so they haven't beaten all the teams in Canada just yet, in Canada just yet. But considering that they've beaten six of them already, they're doing a pretty good job. And they've beaten and they've beaten them all in their backyard. And now with Edmonton and Toronto coming up this week, they're going to obviously look for some revenge and obviously be the ones that, that are going to try to end this winning streak for the Devils. And speaking of that winning streak, Let's make it a devil's dozen as the devils now an unprecedented 12 wins in a row, which is now good for the second longest winning streak in franchise history. They are now one win away from tying the 2000, 2001 devils team that went to the cup final and lost in seven games to the avalanche for the longest winning streak in devil's history, which is 13. So obviously you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but you know, again, that some more pressure is now on this team going into the next game, considering that. And also hockey fights cancer night is on Monday night against the Oilers at home. So it's going to be a special emotional game and we'll see how this team plays, but just for them to come, you know, they, they left New Jersey on a nine game heater and they leave, uh, Canada with a 12 game here. So as Jack Hughes said, I think we're doing pretty well. I think that's safe to say. Eric Halla finally, finally got himself his first goal 
this season. He has had some really bad luck this year, but he finally got rewarded scoring on the power play, which now makes it power play goals in 10 of the last 12 games for this team. And I remember mentioning, because I think it was Jay, I think it was Ryan Novozinski who said he was asking the question, will this guy, he showed a picture of Eric Hall, will, when will this guy score? And I commented prior to the game saying, it happens today. And so, not to toot my own horn, but I did sort of call it that Eric Hall would get it, and he did get that goal. Nate Bastian, who continues to play so well on that fourth line, the BMW line with uh, Michael McLeod and Miles Wood, he scored a goal on a rebound off a shot to get that one. Sharon Govich, now with goals in back-to-back games, he scored a shorthanded goal, no mistake on that rebound, getting that one to make it 4-1 to after the Senators had just made it 3-1, to and now we're going on the power play. It was a pivotal moment in the game because it was going to go one of two ways. Either the Devils were going to lock it down and get away with a relatively easy win, or the Senators were going to make a game out of it. And that goal by Sharon Govich pretty much eliminated any hope that the Senators had to win that game. And it was just great. Devils added another one at the end. Yes, for Boquist, starting to come on a little bit more, got himself a goal, which was great. But the biggest thing that stood out to me was Austin Watson of the Senators. With an absolute cheap cross-check in the first period, which wasn't called, by the way, um, that ended up injuring Nico. He, hit him, he checked him right in the ribs in front of the refs. The refs didn't call it. Nico had to slowly make his way to the bench. He did eventually return and did play the rest of the game and appears to be fine, but it was ridiculous. And then the other thing that was ridiculous is that over on the Senators broadcast, uh, Mark Mathot, the former Ottawa Senator, um, they were talking about, you know, uh, basically, at first, they were defending the Austin Watson's cross-check and said that it really wasn't that big of a deal and that it was a soft it was a soft reaction by Nico, which was ridiculous. You know, like, oh, it's, you know, they're trying to, you know, the center's not trying to injure the Devils players. And Mark Mathot said, that's how you beat the Devils. So basically, what Mark Mathot is saying is that uh, a lot of teams can't stop the Devils because they're getting outskilled every game. So the only way you can beat them is try to injure them which is really messed up, which is really, really messed up. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Austin Watson, dude's a scrub, dude's, you know, trying to make these big hits, trying to get it going. Um, And he's trying to go after one of our better players and our captain. And you could see how Brendan Smith and Miles Wood wanted to make it a point to Watson. And I was wondering if there was going to become a moment where they were going to drop gloves. It never happened. But the best response that this team had was just beaten down on the Senators anyway. You know, winning the game 5-1, to one, Nico, you know, was fine, still gets a point in the game, and it's it's great. It was a great response other than dropping the gloves and trying to make that point. It was a great response to that because right after that, the Devils scored on a power play anyway on that goal by Eric Hall. So it was just, it was poetic justice in its own right. Akira Schmidt. Continuing his strong play now 3-0-0 in the three games that he has played. He has won both of his two starts. Was really, really good in net. I would have loved to see him get a shutout, but didn't end up happening that way. The goal he did give up, he was out of position, left his legs wide open through the five hole. That was more on him. But other than that, phenomenal play by him. And it just gives the team confidence that even Akira Schmidt can help them win games, which is important. 
And now with that win, other than the fact that we have now won 12 in a row, the Devils' record overall has moved to an amazing 15-3-0 through the first 18 games of the season. Good for exactly 30 points. First place in the Metropolitan Division, Metropolitan Division, excuse me, by seven points in front of the second place Carolina Hurricanes. So we are now several games points wise in front of the Hurricanes. So we actually now have a little bit of a cushion. Not saying Devils got to take their foot off the gas or anything like that, but it's just interesting now that we've separated ourselves a little bit from the rest of the pack. The Devils are now officially fully in second place in the Eastern Conference. Well, in yeah, I mean, they were already kind of solidified in that one, but they are still two points behind the Boston Bruins, who as good as the Devils have been, the Bruins have been better. I mean, it, it have been just as good, basically. I mean, they've, been, they've just found ways to win. And I can't wait for that first game between the Devils and Bruins because that's going to be a big time matchup. The Devils now are fully in second place overall in the NHL. Again, behind the Bruins by two points. They are in front of the Vegas Golden Knights, who have struggled a little bit the last couple of games. They are in front of them by one point with the Golden Knights at 29, and the Devils are at 30. So by the time you guys listen to this episode on Monday morning, the New Jersey Devils are the second best team in the National Hockey League on a 12-game winning streak going in to Monday night's game, Hockey Fights Cancer Night, against Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, on the Edmonton Oilers. The Devils will look to try to move to 2-0 this season against that Oilers team. Now that it's in New Jersey, we'll see what type of response the team will give us and what type of response the Oilers will have, knowing that they had a two-goal lead against us and let it slip away and ultimately lost in regulation um, when we played them a couple weeks ago. But bottom line is this, what if, what, how much fun, again, how much fun are you guys having? Because I'm having a freaking blast. And again, it's just taking it one game at a time and just watching this team continue to play just absolutely kick-ass hockey. It's been great. And again, as I always say, let's keep this baby rolling. So I want to end the episode with a very special interview that we had here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. It's a little bit later than I wanted to put it out, so I do apologize. But nonetheless, I do have it for you here. And it's talking about the Metropolitan Derivators of the Premier Hockey Federation. They are the local team here in New Jersey. And again, they play at the American Dream Mall in the Meadowlands, right across the street from MetLife Stadium. And they have currently played three games so far this season. They just wrapped up their first two home games officially in the regular season at the American Dream Mall against the Toronto Six. They won the first game on Saturday by the score of 6-3, to three, but then unfortunately dropped the second one on Sunday afternoon, a 5-2 to two loss. So the Riveters record at the moment is 1-2-0. and oh. But prior to those games and just after the first game of the season, which was a 2-0 loss to the Boston Pride, I had a chance to sit down with the Metropolitan Riveters coach, Venla Hovey, to talk about her journey into getting into the sport of hockey, her playing career, and then ultimately what led to her desire to become a coach and what eventually led to her becoming the head coach of the Metropolitan Riveters. So once again, a big thank you and shout out 
to the head coach of the Metropolitan Riveters, Ben LaHovey, for taking some time with us today. So I hope you guys are excited for this interview because it was a great one. And uh, as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy this awesome interview with the head coach of the Metropolitan Riveters, Ben LaHovey. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you could turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, the New Jersey Devils, how many goals will be scored, more than five, and more for your shot and an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use our promo code THPN to bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, Devils fans, you know, I mentioned to you guys before that I'm going to be covering the Metropolitan Riveters of the Premier Hockey Federation this year. And uh, we've already had several updates, including uh, we had an update in the last episode. But we have a very special guest joining us here on this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. It is with great pleasure that we welcome on the head coach of your Metropolitan Riveters, Venla Hovey. Coach Hovey, thank you so much for coming on the Devil State of Mind pod- podcast. First and foremost, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, just um, lots of work today, diving through video from yesterday's game and then ready to go practice tomorrow again. We love it. We love that you, you guys are getting right back into it after a uh, tough loss to open up the season, but long season ahead, plenty more opportunities moving forward. So let's just dive into these questions that I have. I just have a few questions for you. My first and foremost, to kind of have my viewers get a chance to know you a little bit more, what what got you into hockey at a very early age? Like, what was it, what was, you know, what was it about, you know, all these different things. Like, can you tell us a story of how you really got into the sport? Sure. Um, I started skating when I was two. I actually got figure skates as a Christmas gift from my parents. And, and uh, I, I apparently used them once and started screaming that I wanted the same skates as my older brother and, and uh, ended up using those skates once. And then they, they got me hockey skates. So kind of a typical story at the time when I started playing, when there wasn't a lot of, you know, female players in the game that my older brother who's three years older than me played and, and I, you know, looked up to him and one wanted to follow his footsteps and that's kind of how it all started. And I started playing at the age of four. So pretty early. And that's tremendous because obviously, you know, here in the United States, um, especially for hockey players, sometimes we are, you know, what they would call late bloomers. I know for myself, when I played, you know, when I first learned how to play hockey, I was about 11 or 12. So obviously it just depends on the certain situation and every, and everybody gets the bug at some point, regardless of age. And I know in, in certain countries like your native country of Finland, um, hockey is obviously massive there and it's just growing in popularity, growing in excitement. 
um, year in and year out. And obviously, um, the NHL was just in Finland over the weekend with the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Colorado Avalanche playing a couple of games over there, which was obviously a very, very cool place to uh, check it out. And the, the crowd was unbelievable. So my next question to you, Coach, is you had the chance to play not just in several world championships, but also in two Olympics, both in 2010 and 2018, winning two bronze uh, medals in those tournaments uh, with your native uh, Finland. Talk to us about your biggest memories and your biggest takeaways from those experiences playing in the biggest sporting event you know, out there in the Olympic Games. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually did play in three. It's it's normally forgotten the 2014. That was our oh, kind of big... Mistake. Big disappointment for our our team as a whole. Uh, we finished fifth, uh, not the not the result we wanted, but mm-hmm. obviously something that uh, playing in the Olympics for me was always like a first. I wanted to play in the NHL, and then once I realized that I couldn't, um, the next thing was I want to play in the Olympics. So that was that was obviously a dream come true. Um, very different type of experience in terms of obviously country that we played in and, and, and obviously the success plays into it too. Uh, winning the bronze medals, 2010, uh, Vancouver and Pyeongchang was amazing. Um, I remember especially playing in Vancouver. It just felt like mm-hmm. um, everyone there was cheering for us. I don't know why Canada was kind of behind Finland in every game we played. <laughs> uh, the, the obviously playing in Canada too, just the, you know, hockey, um, passionate people about hockey so that experience was um you know overwhelming obviously for a young player to experience that for the first time but um obviously really lucky and fortunate to have those experiences to uh, grow older with yeah and i mean it's obviously you know not every you know hockey player gets the opportunity to play even in just one olympics and for you to play in three, you know, is, is quite the impressive feat and being able to represent your country, I'm sure was a, a massive thing um, for you. And my next question kind of leans more towards, you know, your, your coaching and obviously your coaching experience. You recently spent two seasons with the female under 17 prep team in the um, Okanagan Hockey Academy between 2020 and uh, obviously this past year. And you also spent uh, both both those years behind the bench as head coach after your time with True North, where you served as the full time um, as as the I believe it if I'm a, if I have this correctly the Jets hockey development ice instructor. Can you take us through the experiences of coaching that academy as well as just working with uh, with True North as well? Yeah, so um, I started coaching during my last years when I still played, um, started kind of coaching on the side and actually swore that I'm never going to coach once I'm done with hockey, that I'm not going to continue with it. And then it was probably mm. a week or two after I retired and I got offered that job uh, for the True North. <laughs> I took it. So uh, <laughs> usually when I say that something doesn't happen, it's it's going to happen. So that's kind of how, how it mm. all um, started. And Obviously, my experiences were really great. Uh, the skills coaching, I something it's something that I really loved doing at the time. Um, I got I gained experience coaching, you know, any anyone between seven years old to all the way being on the ice with some of the NHL guys. So my days were 
you know, they consisted of all the different skill levels and, mm -hmm. and ages, um, which is, which was something that really helped me um, move forward in my career and understand different ages and, and the needs as well. And then um, I got, I was assistant coaching my former university team at the time mm -hmm. also in Winnipeg. Um, so I got the, got to experience the team coaching on the side as well. I started to get more into it and I really missed um, having like a team around me. I never really missed playing, but I just started missing having like a team um, mm -hmm. surrounding me every day and which you didn't really get as a skills coach on a daily basis. And Right. Um, the opportunity came, uh, to go to Penticton and, um, and I took it. I'm very much like an opportunity. What's the word? Like, um, opportunistic. yes, opportunistic. Sometimes I forget about English words. <laughs> I apologize, but <laughs> you are totally yeah. fine. Yeah. I took that opportunity. I wanted to go learn, um, see what it's like. Uh, I had a really great experience there as well. And then, um, obviously you start doing something and you, you get more into it. And, and then after my long playing career at the highest level, I started missing the competitive, uh, level of the game. So I was like, I really, you know, I love doing this. I love being a head coach and mm. I think I can be really successful. Um, and then, then I started looking into, um, uh, you know, coaching more at a higher level mm -hmm. and, uh, here I am now. And that's tremendous. And one of the things that you said that I'm actually kind of curious about that kind of created a new question for me is you were talking about, you know, coaching different, you know, you know, players at different levels, you know, including all the way up to, you know, NHL players. What is for, for the, for my listeners, what is the biggest difference when it comes to coaching, you know, lower level players to then as high up as you mentioned, you know, the NHL? Right. Um, well, there's a, there's a lot of things, honestly, like the, the skill remains the same. Mm -hmm. Um, when I, when I coach younger people, uh, especially kids, you always want to remember that you want to give them a great experience and for them to have fun. So mm -hmm. you might not dive into the smallest details of technical aspects because they might lose interest. Um, so that's something that you need to always think about when you're planning a session, uh, let's say to a 10 year old, than uh, someone who's playing pro, uh, when you're playing pro, you need to be able to execute and, and obviously the attention stays there and remains for the full hour. If you want to just take one timer shots for the full hour, you most likely mm -hmm. want to do it. Um, so those are some of the things that, that play into when you're planning a session regarding of. Um, when it's age, different skill set. And I don't like stepping, uh, stepping, uh, or skipping steps. So you need mm -hmm. to think about where is this player realistically right now and how can I help them to get to the next level and not go to the next level if they're not there yet. So really take the steps of teaching them one skill that they can, um, you know, finally end up doing and then take the next step to help them move forward. And you really nailed it on the head. I mean, taking, you know, one step at a time is so important and not just, you know, the development of, uh, you know, in, in regards to sports, but just in life in general. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a very interesting, um, you know, position for any coach when you're coaching a multitude of different ages, different, you know, types of levels and you learn um, quite a lot. My next question to you, coach, is 
when you look at your coaching career, who are some of the people that have really helped you, you know, grow as a coach and really uh, given you the best pieces of advice? Uh, sure. Well, some of the people, obviously, from just going back to my playing career, and then I ended up actually coaching with him as well, was uh, John Rempel from University of Manitoba. So I played for him for three years there. And then after I graduated and moved forward to play pro, um, I really wanted to coach with him as well and gain that experience alongside him on the bench. So he was definitely one. Uh, moving on to Jets hockey development, uh, Dave Cameron was a huge um someone that just taught me something every single day, even if it was just a little detail. Uh, I felt like every single day when I went to work, I learned something from him and I definitely still carry a few things. I would say my back pocket from Dave, um, Devin Hempy also for Jets hockey development, someone I worked with, I learned tons from, um, right now, uh, someone who's really helping me is, uh, Todd Woodcroft. Mm. Uh, Todd, obviously having a tremendous career already coaching in the NHL and now being the head coach at the University of Vermont. Um, someone that I talk to on a weekly basis. Any any questions that come that I um, might need help with, he's usually the first person that I reach out to and he always has an answer. Um, so he's, he's really great support. Um, and then someone before taking on this role who is now the president of the team is uh, – Digit Murphy. Mm -hmm. uh, she has really, really long experience in the game and, and uh, especially being in, she's been in all different types of situations. So now my questions to her usually relate to, you know, just interactions with people, um, any type right. of leadership questions, I usually go to her. Awesome. And then I, it's great that you have so many different people uh, in your career that, you know, are helping you and, and supporting you. And it's tremendous. It's important, especially as a coach or a player to have, you know, that type of backing. Now, let's talk about the Riveters. The, the first question that I have for you, Coach, is you were hired by the Riveters back in May of this uh, last year with new ownership, basically a fresh start for the Riveters as they continue to try to get back uh, to a level that they were at in 2018 when they were able to win their uh, first and only Isabel Cup championship. My question to you is simply this. What went into your decision to take this job and coach the Metropolitan Riveters? Uh, the challenge. The challenge always drives me. Um, I like being part of a, a process. Uh, I, I usually rather take part in, into a process and, and be impactful than you know, jump on a train that's already successful. Um, mm -hmm. So it was really something that I thought that uh, there is no other job in this world right now that I will learn as much as I will in this journey. And, um, and also I've been part of great teams that have gone through a long process of developing um, winning culture, uh, habits that you need on a daily basis, all those things that I find really important. And I wanted to be the leader and taking the game to the next level and finding the right people to do it with. So uh, those are just some of the things to mention why I wanted to take on the role and, and also um, take on the challenge. And I think I could speak for a lot of, you know, Riveters fans and people who covered the team that were obviously excited to see what this new era of Riveters hockey can bring. So 
you have a you pretty much have a completely new roster um, when you compare it to the year before, with only three players, including uh, Captain Madison Packer, uh, returning from the year before. What has the adjustment been like for not just you coaching a new team and you know in a, in a, in this type of league? But also, you know, the players themselves building chemistry, you know, during their first year with obviously you've only played one regular season game, but you've played several uh, preseason games, had a long training camp. What is the adjustment period and, and chemistry building uh, been like so far this year? Uh, it's been great. We have a very uh, unique group of personalities all over the world. <clears throat> and uh, And I think coming into this season, uh, my first message was having an open mind. Um, mm -hmm. We're not, you know, we're we're gonna take some time uh, to get together and and build build the habits and the culture that we want to have around here. Um, like I mentioned before, we have the right people, or those are the people that I looked for to be able to build a culture um, that is all about professionalism. So that's a word that we talk about every single day. Uh, we want to carry ourselves professionally. We want to have the habits of professionals. We want to train at a professional level. Uh, I know I keep repeating myself, but that is just something that women's hockey is still developing. The understanding of what it really takes uh, to push the game forward uh, so that the game doesn't just kind of plateau where we're at this uh, in this uncertainty right now, especially with the last few years. And... Um, Bringing some players uh, from around the world, some of them are my old teammates, uh, mm -hmm. which is an interesting chemistry too coming into mm -hmm. the role. But um, I was in a lucky position because I got to make some of those decisions of who are the players we're bringing in. And some of the players that I knew from before, I knew they're going to come in and they have already established the habits of professional players. So it, it's been easy for me because the leadership in the group and in the dressing room is so strong that any of the younger players or the former players from the league that are used to maybe different types of habits, um, they are looking around in the room and they have examples how to function every single day and do the little things right. So mm -hmm. um, I would say the, the adjustment has been has been fairly easy, to be honest, once you have the right people in place to lead the way. And that's tremendous to hear, especially like I mentioned before, a relatively new team, new coach, a lot of a lot of new stuff. And one thing that is very new and very unique, which I think we all could all agree, is the fact that the Riveters' home ice is in the American Dream Mall in the Meadowlands, right across the street from MetLife Stadium. Uh, it's kind of a two-part question for you, Coach. Number one, would it be fair to say that this is one of the most unique places? that you've experienced in your hockey career when it comes to, you know, coaching and obviously just being a part of a team playing in something like this. And what has the experience been like so far, you know, practicing and playing games, you know, in a, in a mall like that? Yeah, absolutely. I actually played uh, years ago in a mall. I played in a mall mm. in, in Thailand and Hong Kong. So not really the typical hockey, hockey <laughs> countries, but <laughs> When I first heard that, um, when when our our uh, management group was looking for rings, when I first heard about a mall, you can only imagine what my face looked like. I was like, "We're playing in a mall," or we were looking into it. And then they told me just to go there, so I was like, "Okay, I'm going to drive there today and go see it." And right away, I was like, "Whoa, this is really cool!" And 
Um, now it's our home and we are extremely fortunate to be there. And I think we're really building something that hasn't been seen before. And what's really cool about it, especially for, for women's hockey, is we get all these people that don't even know what hockey is on a daily basis or to our once we start our home games that are going to just walk by in a mall and stop and see what is this. And we kind of witnessed that in our exhibition games already where mm -hmm. we're attracting a new crowd. And um, and I think that's also what we need in the game is is introducing the game to a larger crowd uh, than just your typical hockey fans. So I think it's a really unique place. Um, we've made it our home. Uh, we're really, really lucky to be there and have a, you know, dressing room, ice every day, all those things that not many teams in the league have. So it's been mm -hmm. a great experience so far. And it's like you said, it's certainly a unique place to go watch a hockey game. And, uh, you know, for, for anybody that's interested, uh, the Riveters home opener will be this. Uh, it will be the 19th of November. It'll be a first of two games at home against the Toronto Six. So make sure you guys get a chance to go get some tickets and obviously go and check out this team as they uh, begin, you know, the early parts of their season. My last question to you, Coach, and again, thank you so much for coming on today, is simply this. What is the biggest piece of advice you can give to young uh, females who want to not just get into playing hockey, but also potentially coaching as well? Um, just have to have courage. Uh, I know, obviously, times have thankfully changed, and, and I believe the path uh, there is easier than it was for myself for playing and being the only girl and, and not knowing other, you know, females who to look up to. So I, I was always following, um, you know, guys in the NHL. And then once you hit a certain age and you start to realize and you hear comments from other people that, oh, you're not supposed to do this. Um, thankfully I had the courage and the passion and the determination just to be like, no, I love doing this and I'm really good at this and I'm just going to keep going. And I think that would be my message to any young girl is, is really follow your dreams. And, um, if you really want to go where you're imagining yourself going is really work hard and take the time to put in all the effort you can so that you start gaining the experiences that you've always been dreaming of. I think you really nailed it on the head. That was absolutely tremendous. And if they uh, need any help, reach out to me. I'm willing to help anyone there is who has any questions about coaching or playing. I'm always uh, available and I find the time to help uh, young so females. So there you go, guys. So if you want to get some advice and get some encouragement from somebody who has been able to have a lot of success in their career as a player. And now, you know, as a coach, uh, head coach, then the is the person you want to speak to coach Hovey. We really appreciate your time, you know, uh, on this episode and we will, we are looking forward to obviously seeing you and the riveters back on the ice on the 19th for the home opener and continuing to get this season underway and uh, we will be continuing to follow the team throughout the year. But thank you so much, Coach, for doing this. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.